Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that, well, science says it's good for you to venture into the unknown. It's because it actually makes your personality more creative. And the research in 2012 said that just studying abroad would boost your creativity. Spending one semester in Spain or Senegal scored higher on creativity tests or spending time uh, made you score higher on those creativity tests than people who didn't do it. I think personally it's because both of the places start with letter S. So the real part of the study, because correlation and causation are the same thing after all, would be that if you study abroad in places that start with S, it'll increase your creativity. Just saying. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's guest is a friend and a, a fascinating guy who was recently crushed by a bull. His name is John Levy. He's a behavior scientist known for his work in influence networking and adventure. He put together something called the Influencers Dinner, which is an invitation-only group that's been featured in the New York Times and things like that, uh, where he puts together this random mix of people at a high-end dinner. People, we're talking like Nobel laureates, Olympic medalists, Academy Award winners, executives, 
And I got this random email from from John one day, and your uh, your assistant's name is the same as Tony Stark's. Mm-hmm. That's true, <laughs> which which is hilarious. And and he's like, you need to come to this dinner. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, I, I you guys know Bulletproof Radio's Webby Award winning, so I get a lot of inbound requests to just like do random things from random people. So I kind of, John, I thought you were random. And then I clicked the link. I'm like, wow, like this guy is totally not random. Like he's targeted and, and like, you know what you're doing. So I show up this crazy dinner at this nice place in LA and there's all these people at the table and the rules of these dinners are you're not allowed to say what you do for a living or I think even your name. Like You can't give your names. last name. You yeah. can't talk about what you do and uh, you have to cook me dinner. And when we cook dinner, so we're sitting in there and there's all these random people. It turns out there's like two TV stars. I don't recognize any of them because I'm like socially clueless on all the pop culture stuff. And then there's the guy from Mythbusters. And like you have this amazing assemblage of people who are really fascinating. And I'm still in touch with some of them. And you just do this because, well, I think it makes you happy. Like, like why do you set these things up? Well, uh, as you're a science junkie, so am I. And uh, there was an incredible study Uh, done by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. Uh, They wrote a book called Connected. And they were looking at the obesity epidemic. And they were curious, uh, is it an epidemic that passes from person to person? Or is it a percentage of the population? And what they found was startling, that if you have an obese friend, your chances of obesity increase by 45%. Your friend's chances increase by 25%, their friends by 10%, and their friends by 5%. Which means that everything passes through our social networks. So if you want an incredible life, then you have to curate the people around you. So, so if I heard you right, you said only have thin friends? That's exactly what I said. I said uh, <laughs> they have to be gorgeous, thin, and rich. Uh, no. uh, because- it, it, as a, as a, a counterpoint to that, I recently posted a study about the obesity virus that comes from chickens. There really is one that really is contagious that really does make you obese on fewer calories, which is crazy. There, wait, there may wait, be- what is this? It's an obesity virus that comes from chickens. And when people get infected with this, they put on weight and they cannot lose weight no matter how little they eat. And it is contagious. So you literally can catch obesity from... Wow. Uh, the, the transmission vectors are not that well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is really, really solid research about this that just sounds too crazy. So there's bacteria in your gut can make you fat. And that was in my first book. Mm-hmm. And it turns out viruses can make you fat. So if you're rubbing up against like a whole room full of people infected with bad gut biomes, <laughs> which does get shared, uh-huh. we, can even, we can tell if you leave a room an hour later, we can tell by sampling the bacteria in the room who was in the room. Like it's that level of like it, it, there's a cloud wow. around us. Uh-huh. And then there's these, these viral vectors we just discovered. So I, I, I'm fascinated by what you do because there's the psychological aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, like, like the, the personality transmission thing. Like when someone has that just like high vibration, they walk into the room and you're like, I want to be around this guy. Like, like you know, Lewis Howes, we both, I was just on Lewis's show. Um, uh, Lewis describes you as like mixing Indiana Jones with a behavior scientist and all this. But yeah. Lewis is like that. Like he's, he's just like a, a guy, you're like, I want to hang out with this guy. Like he's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got that like all these, gravity to yeah. There's, but there's all those other mysteries around what's going on. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to like go into viral obesity and all here. But you, to to get you back to your point that I so effortlessly took you right off of, you were saying uh, that there's a there's a connection that the group of people, and that's why you, that's why you do these is because yeah, you want to surround that, yourself with these people. I've 
I feel that a lot of people try to network and then it's one-on-one. They, they try yeah. to collect as many people. But if I really want to impact the quality of my life, it's not just about me knowing all these people. It's about them knowing each other. Because then I'm not only getting the direct impact, I'm getting the indirect impact. And so by creating a community, it just improves the quality of everybody's life and has a greater ability to just impact anything you want to do. There are a few people I know. Uh, Joe Polish is one mm-hmm. of them. Absolutely. Who runs the Genius Network. And he's had a profound impact because it's not about Joe, although I do have pictures of his face on little stickers on every piece of clothing that I own. Like He, he, mm-hmm. he tags you with his face. But yep. it's actually about who he connects you with. And uh, the, the relationships there are amazing. And the other one is Jason Gaynard from Mastermind Talks. Yep who also runs another highly curated group like that. And you do this in a more distributed fashion, but most people, all the people we're talking about are dealing with a few hundred, in your case, a thousand or so people. Yeah, just about a thousand these days. And we expand by 50 a month or so. Okay, so for the quarter million people listening, this kind of behavior is entirely invisible to you. Like this is what super connectors, and you're a super connector. That's what super connectors do. And And you're like nodes in our society that allow people who are doing big things to find other people who are doing big things, even if they're very different big things, and, and then to like spread whatever ideas and whatever work is happening. And I didn't understand this uh, until maybe over the last 10 years. There's power networks in every industry, but there's cross-industry power networks, and that's mm-hmm. what you're doing. And, and it's, it's fascinating because what you're getting out of this is, it sounds like mostly joy. Like you're, you're not starting a big company out of this or oh no i actually intentionally want a small company because i'm i like being able to travel and explore the world and adventure and get to work on the projects i want rather than the projects i have to do yeah bulletproof is growing i I, i'm i have a lot of focus right now in my life Mm -hmm. not a lot of serendipity uh i still get some of that but i i hear you and you, you there's wisdom in your way and you still get the fun of meeting all these cool people i think i was the only behavioral scientist that went to both the Emmys and the Grammys. Nice. Like, <laughs> I, I'm probably the only one behavioral scientist at either to begin with. But like, it, you know, I get these really rare opportunities because of the community is so generous with one another. And when people become masterful at understanding the social impact that they can have and how to bring people together, that's where the magic happens. It, it is. And, and the idea of people being really willing to help I was blown away at this dinner where uh, there's some pretty substantial celebrity people there, and every one of them was was humble and you know just they're just normal people. And then when they hear what I'm doing at the end of the dinner, there's like an unveiling. Uh, they're like, "Oh yeah, like, like let's do some selfies." And, and here is, <laughs> I have a movie star like telling me, here, "Here's how you tilt your chin so you, you don't look like a goofball <laughs> in a selfie." I'm like, "Oh, no one ever taught me that." Like, it's, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of surreal, but it's really cool. The helping spirit where everyone there's like, "Yeah, well, you know, what, what's what's here?" And and it the kind of thing that you do, uh, it, it really helps to cement my my core belief that people are wired to help each other, like we're supposed to be kind, and it's, it's when you, you run out of energy or when you're, you're traumatized, you just got bad programming that you walk around acting like a jerk all the time uh, and then and just uh, you know, do things that you're later ashamed of. Mm. That's uh, very much, I think, supported by Adam Grant's research, and I'm sure you've discussed this at length throughout, uh, but his whole research about who becomes most successful, givers, takers, or matchers. Yeah. Have you you've discussed this? I'm assuming. 
I haven't talked about it in link on here, but I'm familiar with Adam Grant's work. Mm-hmm. In fact, I should bring him up because when you give, you get. It's just how it works. So Grant uh, categorized people into givers, people who give disproportionately, takers, those who take disproportionately, and matchers, those that mimic other people's behavior. And he asked the question, who are the least successful and the most successful? And the least successful are the givers. But the most successful are the givers. And what separates the two groups are those that know kind of how to give while promoting whatever it is that they're, that's important to them. So you're not giving to the point that it's at the detriment of your projects, your life, your family. You're giving because it's natural to you, and it's also promoting whatever it is that's important to you. You have healthy boundaries. Right? Yes. If, if you give exactly. until you can't eat, you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't do it right. Um, from a from a health and an energy perspective, I always look at what the, the stewardesses say on airplanes, uh, which drives me nuts because I've heard it like 10,000 times, I think. Mm-hmm. But in, in the event of uh, depressurization, which, by the way, never freaking happens, but in, in the event of a, of a depressurization event, put your own mask on first and mm-hmm. then put the mask on the person next to you. And when it comes to, to helping others, if if your own house isn't in order, it's very hard to help other people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I would, I would look at that and everyone who was at the table who you invited, I think understood those rules or they probably wouldn't have been at the table. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's very, uh, people who aren't appropriate for that, for community get weeded out very quickly. Uh, when people ask who would I like to host, uh, they are always expecting like, Bill Clinton or Oprah or Sir Richard Branson. And those people are incredible, but they're not necessarily appropriate for a community. They're not, their lives are really full and they're very mission driven. And as a byproduct, connecting with a group of people and being part of a thousand, two thousand, three thousand person community and active in it to some degree just isn't realistic. So it's about the industry leaders and the thought leaders, not necessarily people who are on a global scale. There are, in fact, a, a friend of mine, uh, I believe it was Manish Sethi, uh, who mm-hmm. makes Pavlock, the little band that, that shocks you. I'm, I'm, I'm an investor in Pavlock, a very small investor, because it was too funny of an idea not to support. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was saying he was at a, an internet marketing conference recently, and he heard these, these two you know, young, get-rich-quick guys uh, on, a, on a webcast go, oh, it, it's all about what we can do to give back. And as soon as they hang up that webcast, they look at each other, start laughing and high-five each other. Like, like they, they were clearly of the takers. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and Manish wrote about this on Facebook. I was laughing. But they were clearly of the takers, uh, not the givers. But they were like takers in givers' clothing. Yes. right? Because they learned that they could make more money doing that. How do you sort out the, the people who are non-reciprocal? The, how do you sort out the takers who act like they're givers? Like I, I know a few people who are very public figures who act like the biggest givers. But in, in the circles that I hang out in, they're well known as being, oh, they only take. Uh, so the way we do it is that I'm not an expert on most industries. And so you have to ask the people who are inside the industry to make mm-hmm. that decision for you. Um, one of the things I'm really clear on is that there are certain decisions that I should be making for my life or my business. And there are certain decisions that other people who are top of their field should be making for me. Right? Like I'm not a nutritionist. I shouldn't be picking what I eat. I should let, leave that decision to somebody else. Similarly, the decision of who is an exceptional person within your industry, I would, once they're recommended, I would come to you. There was a, 
a great study that um, looked at how to vaccinate populations. And mm-hmm. one of the theories was, you, the traditional theory is uh, elderly and children, weakest immune systems. Another one looked at just vaccinating or starting by vaccinating the super connectors because there are key people in every industry that know the most number of people. And if you vaccinate them, then you actually end up protecting more of the population because nothing spreads. And so similarly, if I can target those super connectors in every industry who know everybody, they're the ones that are the best people to make those decisions. That's, uh, that's interesting. And I believe that would probably work. Although I would hope that they would have a well-studied vaccine. Yes. <laughs> well, so that's, that's a very different side of the issue. But yeah, absolutely. Just, so I've been getting all these people online going, Dave's for vaccines, Dave's against vaccines. I'm like, no, I'm just for science. And, and the science right now is that aluminum in vaccines seems to cause an immune activation event that has bad effects in a percentage of the population that scares me uh, because it isn't studied. So I'm like, I'm not against vaccines. Like, I'm just like, I want to, I want the science. So anyway, I don't want to take us into the great vaccine debate and have like 10 billion hashtags. So whether, I don't even care which side of the debate you're on. Like, like, could you please not get into it here? That's not what we're talking about. But I did want to bring up that, all right, if you wanted to spread anything, uh, whether it was effective or not, uh, then we would, uh, uh, then you would go to the super connectors. And it's the same with ideas. Um, Even the idea of, of bulletproof coffee, which in, basically four years went from a blog post to last year, 48 million cups of Bulletproof coffee served. Holy cow. And you guys were even mentioned in Supergirl. I remember I was like totally randomly on a trip or something that an episode comes on and one of the characters was like, Okay, I have to be super productive. Get me some, was it grass-fed butter right now? Put it in my yeah, coffee. Yeah, it was She actually said bulletproof coffee, and, and she was she was like she goes bulletproof. And Supergirl's, are you asking me? Like like, oh no, my cover's blown. She goes bulletproof coffee. But here's the thing: I found out about that on Facebook because we didn't pay for that. Mm-hmm. That was just like like networking and talking about it and people showing, oh, this thing works. And, and I did intentionally say, I want to spend, just following your, your lead, uh, saying, I want to spend the time that I have away from family uh, with people who are interesting and helping and uh, in my industry or others. So I, I've, I've been to rocket scientist conventions and, and I, I hang out with Peter Diamandis and, and his crowd of people at Abundance 360. And, and all these, these different groups of people, and one of the reasons Bulletproof Coffee spread the way it did is because I went there with a giving attitude, like, like you're saying from Adam Grant's work, uh, and also I, I had something that worked. But if I hadn't have done that, I don't think it would have been on Supergirl, and certainly it wouldn't have been a surprise. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I could have written a check for that, but they just, I think that the people there did it, because like, oh, it fits in the storyline, and they drink it. Yeah. Right? Like, like it, it was, I wouldn't it was be easy. surprised if you walked into the writer's room, and they were, like, that's what they had for their first cup that I, day. I'm pretty sure because Superman, uh, Brandon Routh is, is a buddy. I, I know he 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 put a bird in their ear, and it's it's uh it's just amazing. I I I think people wonder how does success happen, and what your work and and what you do it, it's a huge part of it. But it's not the kind of networking where like we show up in our suits, we hand a business card, we shake hands, and then we like see how we can get something. Yeah. It, and there's there's a lot of that like how do I steal something from this guy kind of vibe that happens in in less experienced networkers and eventually like look there's there's like business karma like you just help someone and eventually it comes back to you from them or someone else and it's all good. There's a, I think that there's two things that I really believe when it comes to this. One is that I don't believe in networking. I believe in community building. 
Yeah. And it's a recontextualization because networking brings up the idea of old stodgy business people handing out business cards in hopes of getting something from you. Whereas mm -hmm. community building is about strengthening everybody's position by adding a diversity of people uh, and opportunities into that community as a whole. And so I, when I add somebody to the community, it's because I believe that they're a good person. Not, and that they have, hopefully, they bring a diversity of view and experience that can add. Um, and I think that it's just, I like knowing myself as the person who's not going to worry about that. Like, I like it, knowing myself as the guy who, I may contribute to this person, they may never know that, but hopefully some kind of new future is created for them that I don't even have to put in any additional effort into that all of a sudden is growing. That's one of the reasons I like introducing people. So, so now I've got to dig in on that with you a little bit. So if tomorrow someone you'd invited to one of your dinners created the Influencerize dinner, <laughs> copied all of, your, all of your little emails and everything like that, was like, here's what I'm doing, right? It, what would that do to you, uh, like psychologically? I would, um, one, be incredibly hurt that yeah. somebody that was my guest. Um, yeah. And... I mean, you know, I have lawyers and all that. They could take care of that kind of, of stuff. Of course. Yeah, but it's, um, it would be very tough for them to succeed because there's yeah. such a, a, they would automatically alienate everybody that is one of my members. And that already cuts out probably 5% of the people that you would, or 20% <laughs> of people that you'd want to start with. So imagine the dinner that you came to, yours had 16 people. Now these are 15 people that have either huge followerships, they're editors and chiefs, they're all these people. Oh yeah. So like they would get demolished in the media if anybody tried to do that because <laughs> the, you know, when the the editors and chiefs of probably a third of the magazines and news outlets are former dinner guests, like it's just yeah. stupid. Especially because I'm a believer in communities. And so when people come to me asking questions, I help them design their own. And mm -hmm. The reason the influencers works is that it's in my nature. It's in my character. Uh, but something for you might be more like, oh, we want to do a, a private community of influencers for Bulletproof. Well, let's, uh, let's bring you know, six people together who are influencers and let them both compete and measure their different, you know, take blood tests, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And build a community around health and fitness and see who can optimize the most and put rankings against it, or whatever it is, right? Who can get a higher VO2 max, whatever it is. Um, or you want to do, you'll, you could do a, a talk series and every week bring in some other world expert ranging from like a Navy SEAL all the way through to a neuroscientist. But then it's really consistent with your DNA. And so yep. when you, you copy somebody else's, you can't last 10 years doing it. And you'll you'll always be a me too. You're the fake one. Yeah. Uh, and I I just it, the reason I'm asking is uh, bulletproof has risen a lot, and I just uh, I've actually seen two books now that are essentially uh, uh, copies of my work. Like like, mm -hmm. like you open it, it's like they're even using my language, like like little taglines and things like that. And you're like, really? Like like come on. But at the same time, like that first response is really like somebody just like, like essentially stole my work. Uh, and then on the other hand, I'm like, well, maybe someone's going to read this and it'll help them. Although it's, I, I would say I like my writing better, but anyway, <laughs> um, 
uh, but also at, at, at the same time, uh, I, I, I go through that, that same thing. Like it, it does hurt a little bit. You're like, really? Like, like why was that necessary? And then I think about this, all right, like who's, you know, who in the community knows where this came from? And the bottom line is that the people who've already been helped already know. And, and like, there's no way to do that. Uh, although I have to say it hurt extra when I read the, the, the foreword and the foreword says, you know, essentially like stuff against my work and then it's a knockoff of my work. It's like, really? Come on, guys. <laughs> but that's uh-huh. that taker versus giver. So having taker filters is hard to do when you have a really big following. So it's, it's an interesting world and I, I, don't, I don't talk about that stuff too much, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's kind of funny because I think it's, it's just par for the course when you reach a certain level of success, right? Yeah, I'm sure there's like knockoffs of, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure, like you can take it as a compliment, but it's just like the nature of the game, right? Once, there's oh, yeah. big, once you're big enough that there's a market for it, there's like five copycats of SoulCycle. There's yeah. uh, all the Soho House wannabes and all these other, it just means that there's this, it, you're at that cusp of a, a social revolution, uh, and thinking, yeah. and so you've had an impact, but it yeah. still sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, it's it uh, kind of amused me. I I have like a lot of very very positive reviews on my book, uh, and then one person posted a review that was like, "These story the stories of this book uh, are banal and un, and I don't believe that they're real or something like that." And I was like, <laughs> "Why would they? First of all, why would it both be banal and not believable? Like nobody yeah. writes. You're never like oh, okay." It's a, and then the funny thing is. I, uh, I have photos of every one of the experiences, except for one where, my, where I got robbed. Not in the yeah. book, because it's... Okay. Uh, it's, it's print, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, and also because uh, since I'm up to, in certain points, not exactly legal activities, I, uh, I can't... Evidence. Yes, I can't. Yeah. I just can't uh, post photos of that kind of stuff. But, I mean, like, if you just look at my Instagram, you see the photo of, like, the bull hoof in my back because I was crushed in Pamplona. It, that's this is an amazing photo. And um, by the way, what's your Instagram? Oh, it's uh, my name is John Levy, J O N L E V as in Victor, Y as in yellow, and it's John Levy T L B. T like Thomas, L like Lion, B like boy. What does uh, T L B stand for? So as a child, I was really inspired by the adventures of Peter Pan. So it's yeah. the Lost Boys. <laughs> I, I believe like it. I, I believe in living a life of wonder and adventure and i never saw that captured in anything as well as the lost boys of peter pan we we actually did i have a peter pan connection but i'm not going to say what it is on the air because it's too funny and it would it would uh compromise privacy but uh i'm I'm with you on the peter pan front love it the uh let's see i actually did this interview backwards i figured we'd talk about adventure first and then we talk about community but we just naturally talked about community and networking which is i think really helpful for a good number of people listening but let's talk about your book the 2am principle discover the science of adventure mm-hmm. you actually opened the book talking about running with the bulls yes so tell me about this so we've said you were crushed but what happened so, why were you there uh if you've ever had the misfortune of getting uh, injured at running of the bulls, you'd know that it starts really at about five o'clock in the morning. You have to be up at like four. There's a massive party the night before. So there's street sweepers coming in through the streets, clearing glass. And uh, you, so you keep getting kicked out of the street and you have to sneak back in past security <laughs> lines. And so I kept getting kicked out. And the only place I could get in was this place called Dead Man's Corner. And we're literally locked in by gates. And the reason it's called Dead Man's Corner is that the track looks like a thunderbolt. 
so there's a bend in it. And bulls are good at running straight, not turning. <laughs> so it's dead man's corner because they can't turn well and they end up hitting you. Oh. And so we're locked in. The trumpets go off, meaning that the race had started. All the announcements are in Spanish over like broken loudspeakers that you can't understand. <laughs> right. But so like, you know, it sounds like uh, the adults in the peanuts uh, and like the Charlie Brown <laughs> stuff. Wah, wah, yeah. wah. And it's, it's, it's like, I don't speak Spanish, so you have no idea what's going on. And we're freaking out because we're locked in there and the, the bulls have started running. Eventually they open it up and I jet as far as I can towards the, the last portion of the, of the race or the run. And, but you can't see anything because everybody is like a tall Australian. And so everybody's <laughs> jumping up and down and the bulls are, are coming at you, but you don't know if people are like running away just because they're scared and there's nothing there or if there's a bull there. And all of a sudden the guy in front of me goes, oh crap, and turns around and starts running. And that's when I realized like, it's coming. So I, I <laughs> turn around and you're not allowed to look back because it slows you down enough for them to hit you. You oh, just no. got to go jetting in. I make it into the stadium. I jump off to the side and the bull just swings past me. And it was like the most adrenaline-filled experience of my life. And there's this really weird characteristic of human, or it's mammals, I think, in general. It's called the winner effect. And the moment you experience a win, your body floods with testosterone. So I'm there full of testosterone, dopamine, adrenaline. Like, I'm totally pumped. And that testosterone prepares you for the next battle. It gives you an advantage to win. So I think it's all over. I'm in the stadium. They close the gates of the stadium. So now we're locked in. And it turns out that they let the bulls in one at a time and you're to go toe to toe with them. <laughs> so I am like, I would have been freaking out, but I'm so pumped full of adrenaline that like, bring it. Right. So I see the, how people are interacting with the bull. What are they doing? They like run up to it and touch it. So I'm like, I can do that. So I run up to a bull and I touch it and run away. And then I see people like trying to jump over it and slapping it on its ass and like all that kind of stuff. So I run up to a bull. Slap it on its ass. It looks at me like, boy, you must be crazy. But luckily there was like some drunk Australian guy who distracted the bull and like I make it away to safety. So I'm now like completely pumped full of testosterone. Like right. My body's just on high. And so how do bulls enter the stadium? It turns out that there's a ramp, two gateways, and people lie down on the ground and the bull jumps over them. So I'm like, last bull, I'm going to do this. So I sit down on the ground. I cover my head. I get into the safest position I can. And the bull's running up. They open the gates. And I see that as the bull's just about to jump over me, it slips, misses oh. its jump, and lands on my shoulder, like the back Ow. where my shoulder blade is. Where, where lose, it used to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I lose all feeling and time stops. I have this moment of like absolute clarity. The screams and cheers of the thousands of spectators disappear. And I'm like, oh my God, John, you idiot. <laughs> like in your pursuit of adventure, you might be a cripple. Is your, so your testosterone all converts to estrogen all at once? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm not like, you know, practically in tears. And then the other side of me kicks in and says, no, you would have never been happy not pushing the limits. This was a fluke. This kind of stuff doesn't really happen. And if it happened, it was just a random, you know, you're, it's just a statistic. And it's okay. Like, we'll figure it out. And time starts again. And I somehow, like, managed to pull myself up. But there's something clearly wrong with my torso. 
and I'm looking for help, but nobody can help me because they're too busy pulling bodies out of the way. Because a lot so of people, people are dead around you, or just injured? not dead, like severely injured, bleeding, okay. unconscious, all that. And you're just crushed, so yeah, I'm just yeah, <laughs> a mild, you know, crushing. Uh, and so somebody <laughs> points me to triage, and as I go in, the pain becomes so overwhelming, I lose the ability to speak, and I start going oh. unconscious. And so, as a last ditch effort, I uh, pass my wallet to a nurse, and next thing I know, they are shaking me awake and telling me that I need to leave. <laughs> He's like, oh, you need to you, leave. You're like, you just have a contusion. Get out of here. And I'm like, what's a contusion? He goes, a bad bruise. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere, buddy. <laughs> a bruise is what happens to fruit. This hurts way worse than that. Uh, so I ended up, they end up kicking me out. I end up in another emergency room. They don't want me to fly. They're worried that the impact pushed air around my lungs. So in the pressure mm-hmm. change of a flight, I'd end up collapsing a lung and uh, die. And, uh, I make it okay to the U.S. and six months of physical therapy and I still get back pain. I'm really lucky to be alive. Wow. A few inches difference. I mean, if it landed on my spinal cord, that could have just been the end of me. That's a pretty amazing story. Yeah. So it all started because I uh, thought it would be a good idea to go every month to the biggest event in the world, wherever it was. And... Uh, and so for July, it's running of the bulls. And well, you, uh, you, that is one of the coolest things I, I can imagine. You're like, I'm just going to find these crazy adventure things. You call your book the 2 a.m. principle. Mm-hmm. So what is the 2 a.m. principle? So the 2 a.m. principle is that nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic experiences of your life. Either you should have just <laughs> called it and gone to sleep because you're at a pizza place at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, wasting time or you're like four o'clock in the morning you're at the craziest party on like the border of mexico with random strangers that you met and they're fire twirlers and you're like Mm -hmm. how did i end up here but there's very little in between it's very infrequent that you're up at 4 a.m and you're like yeah it was okay (laughs) it's either (laughs) like dude we gotta get home i'm just exhausted or dude can you believe this is taking place how are we here and so I, I I love that uh, I love that that definition because that's how it is. Yeah, it's there, and two a.m. is different in every city, right? Like in Boston, I'm sure it's probably like one a.m. and in Vancouver, I don't even know. I don't know the city that well. Well, uh, it's dark. It's winter. It's pretty much dark all the time. It doesn't really matter. It's always two a.m. in Vancouver, <laughs> at least in winter. Um, but the <laughs> when I say the most epic experiences, I put a lot of effort and analysis in. I looked at. Uh, the structure of adventure. Everybody always said that adventures happen by random chance. And that didn't make any sense to me because if it did, all of us would live similarly exciting lives. It would be a re- kind of regression to the mean. So that meant that certain people embody something that others don't. And if we can quantify it or figure that out, then anybody could apply it. So when I say epic, it's actually the four stages that I believe every adventure goes through. Establish, push boundaries, increase, continue. And anybody right, can walk, find them. walk me through those four stages. I, I think everyone listening who's thinking maybe they should plan an adventure, mm-hmm. uh, just to, just give me a paragraph on each one. So, what is establish? Establish is you put the right elements in place. The most okay. there are four elements that I think really set up an adventure well, and that is the right team of people, as we discussed. Right, the people you surround yourself with are critical. They can make a terrible party fun or an amazing party awful if they're the wrong group. Uh, 
a new location is incredibly important. Your brain actually operates differently when it's exposed to things that are new or novel. And that's easiest when you're in an unfamiliar environment. It, uh, your brain entices you to explore. Uh, and then I think that it, especially if you're in a very familiar environment, it's important to have a mission and constraints. Uh, the reason is that if we create a goal, let's say there in Vancouver, you have the same like bars that you always go to, right? People go out every night to them. What if you couldn't pay for your own drinks, right? You had to go out to your five favorite bars, but you had to get all of your drinks for free. Now, all of a sudden you have a game or a goal that drives the behavior of the entire group, bonds them and gets outsiders involved. So those familiar places all of a sudden are seen through a fresh pair of eyes through these either rules that you set up or the constraints that limit you. So that's the established phase, right? You set everything okay. up. Now, in my definition of adventure, because I couldn't find one that made any sense, I define an adventure as an experience that's exciting and remarkable, like it's worth talking about. It possesses adversity and or risk. Now, preferably perceived risk. It doesn't actually have to kill you. It can just be scary. Uh, and it brings about growth. The person you are at the end has to be different than the person that started. Because ultimately, the memories will fade and the stories will be replaced. But if you leave with a greater capacity, that's the real gift of an adventure, is that you're a new person. So in the second stage, you want to do something that will get you outside of your comfort zone. You want to push those boundaries. So that might be something physical, right? Anything from climbing a mountain to uh, climbing over a fence to sneak in somewhere, right? It could be something emotional. Um, so something that you're scared of. It could be uh, talking to a stranger or, um, or serenading somebody, right? And then there are those social boundaries, the ones that like society... Uh, set up that aren't real. They're just rules that we abide by that you could theoretically break at any time, but people get really embarrassed to. Uh, it, it's amazing what, what pushing a, a, a boundaries like that will do. Uh, this weekend, uh, or last weekend, I was in LA. Uh, my buddy, uh, Craig Handley, said, Dave, we're going to do a Bulletproof rap. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I have no rhythm. Uh -huh. I cannot sing. Uh, and I've had exactly two singing lessons, and the, the teacher was like, maybe you should learn an instrument. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, he, and I'm like, okay, but I didn't know, like, Craig has actually recorded something like like with Snoop and like some other big names, oh, wow. and like had been invited to tour to 300 cities, but he he's an entrepreneur, and, and that's mm. not, he's not a, so I'm like, Okay, I think it's still like I show up, but there's like a studio and there's like people from the rap industry there and there's a pop shield and, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to do this. And that was definitely pushing my boundaries. That's so incredible. As, as, part of, as part of the Headstrong launch, there is a rap that has real rappers on it. No, no giant names, at least not yet, um, but some, some very skilled rappers. And then like I'm throwing down like many lines that are not very good, but like my boundaries were seriously pushed this weekend. So I'm with you. That was, that's it was awesome cool. actually. Yeah. That's super, it, super cool. Uh, one of the things I, I really live by is that the size of our life is in direct proportion to how uncomfortable we're willing to be. And so it's such a great quote. I really applaud you for taking that on because it's easy to be like, no, no, I'll pass. But you know, and it's really uncomfortable when there are professionals around and you're like falling all over yourself. It's like, 
they, they were so kind to like they're like Dave, you you laid down those tracks in an hour and a half. That they're like people who've never rapped before. That should have taken like four hours. So actually, you know, you're a level one rapper. Uh, and, and and then Craig's like, I'm like maybe a six, and you know Ramon over here, he's a ten, and I'm like I, like you just see this huge amount of skill, and you're like this is not my skill. So yeah, yeah, yeah it, it it was it it is being vulnerable as like you know not not being able to hang. So uh, all right, so, so you had establish and uh-huh. you had push boundaries. So that was a boundary pushing I did this weekend, and you made me think about that. Uh, and and by the way, I apologize in advance if you ever hear my rap. Uh, so. Are you kidding? I'm <laughs> about to download it right now on iTunes. Uh, it's not up yet, but it'll be up. <laughs> um, All right. And, and what's next? It's increase, right? Increase. What, what was the increase? You want okay. to maximize the emotional value from the environment that you're in before you move on. So okay. you can do that by, let's say uh, we've talked our way into a bar pretending to be somebody on the list, right? We're at a party. It's the two of us. Um, and we've... Uh, I took a sneak peek at the list while nobody was looking. I threw down some names that aren't ours and now we're in this party, right? Mm. Now I could, there's a few things I can do. I can begin, I can do something like entertain people either through stories or if I have a skill, uh, I can, we can challenge one another to do anything from like stunts to uh, go speak to people. Um, You can leverage surprises. So either surprise other people or, if all of a sudden you come in contact. So at one point in the book, I, uh, I see somebody familiar at a walking into a restaurant bar. And so I grab my brother and we follow him in and the staff there says, sorry, we're closed, but I've already pushed my way in. And I'm like, Kiefer Sutherland, is that you? I haven't seen you in like, you know, who knows how long since that time at the <laughs> spotted pig. And he waves us in. And so it's me, Kiefer, my brother, me, and like, you know, everybody's completely caught off guard. This is surprising to everybody. And uh, the bartender says, what will you have? And I'll, I'm like, I'll have whatever Kiefer's drinking. So they pour me a whiskey and a Coke. And Kiefer's like, you know how to drink that, right? I'm like, no. And so he starts teaching me to drink, you know, take a sip of whiskey and you follow it up with Coke and it smooths the taste. Wow. I'm like, I feel like a sensei is teaching me some great you know, uh, <laughs> lessons here. And then the people from behind the bar then start to surprise me. And they say, okay, if you're going to be here after hours, you have to uh, participate in our traditions. And so they start pulling something from behind the bar. Now I'm in an after hours closed bar with a celebrity in New York City's meatpacking district. Uh, what do you think they're pulling out from behind the bar? Ooh, probably some very expensive alcohol. I was or thinking pot. I was thinking drugs. I was thinking there's <laughs> yeah, gonna be yeah. like a glass mirror. It was way worse than that. It was Jenga. And we spend <laughs> the next three hours getting sloshed, battling each other in Jenga. I mean, like competition was fierce. Kiefer pulls out his glasses, like these Coke bottle thick glasses, and like steadiest hands in the group. Everybody's taking photos. People are going like crazy. Three hours, right? Of it. And at at 3 a.m., my brother's like, listen, I have to get to my flight. It's at 6. So he, t- send, like, he gets me in a cab. We go home. Uh, during that time, like Kiefer invites us to Thanksgiving. We invite him to ours because it's a week before Thanksgiving. And uh, I wake up in the morning and I look on the floor and I realize there's something sparkling. And when I look at it, I realize I'd unintentionally stolen Kiefer's glasses. Oh, no. So I'm super embarrassed. I text him and no answer, but obviously he can't read his texts. Uh, because I've taken his glasses. And 
so it's the day after Thanksgiving, and I we had been invited to his Thanksgiving family dinner, which is the day after. And uh, so we decide we're going to show up. And we walk in, and he looks at us, and he's like, we're, and we're a group of five, by the way. It's me, wow. the girl I was dating, my brother, uh, the, his wife, and a friend of ours. And, uh, and he's looking at us, and it's pretty clear, like, this isn't adding up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, after a few moments of awkwardness, I pull out the glass, and I was like, oh, it was a real pleasure playing Django with you the other night. Thank you so much for the invite. And I'm embarrassed to say I accidentally took your glasses, and I passed them to him. And he looks at the glasses and looks at me and looks at the glasses and says, fortunately... I can afford to replace those. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to be beaten up by Jack Bauer. <laughs> this is not good. And then he like cracks a huge smile. It's like, come on in. And we all hang out and have uh, some dinner. And then his daughter's like, oh, we should play a game. And of course, what game does she pick? Jenga, of yeah, course. So we spent the next like three hours uh, or two hours playing Jenga and having drinks with the family. And that's how we celebrated Thanksgiving that year. But I, I I always like to think that he'd be a super cool guy in person just based on the way he acts. So apparently it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's uh, much like most people. It all depends on the day that you see somebody. Right? That's that's uh, a fair point. But uh, they're talking about pushing some batteries and increasing the emotional value. Yeah. So you you pull that one off for sure. And and what does continue there? Like what what does that mean? The, so, the next step in epic. Um, when you're ready to move on to the next place, you want to consider a few things. The risk and unpredictability, right? So let's say, theoretically, it's a nightclub. There's very little unpredictability in going to a nightclub. If you go to one, you're not going to hear each other. You'll maybe be able to hang out with one person at a time. You'll drink a lot and maybe dance. But there's a risk of not getting in. The risk and unpredictability of, let's say, uh, going to a tranny fashion show, that's a lot more unpredictable. Like you if you've never gone to one before, you don't know what to expect, who you're going to interact with, the conversations that you're going to have, right? Or if you decide that you're going to go sneak into a playground at night and play games, there's a risk there. There's an actual risk. Uh, the risk is that you could end up getting caught and you could go to jail. So that's one thing you want to consider. You want to consider the ambiance and activity that you'll be participating in. Right? If you're trying to bond the group, maybe you want something more intimate. If you're trying to go wild, maybe you want like a big space. Uh, and you want to look at transportation because if you guys have been drinking and there's no designated driver, human attention span is pretty limited. It's usually about 10 or 15 minutes. After that, we start getting really antsy. And so if you're going to travel somewhere and then the key, no matter what is to end with style. So I call it the continuation rate, R-A-T-E. And so if you are continuing, you loop back through the process. If you're not, the key is to end with style. And it's all because of research by uh, Dan Kahneman and Amos Tversky about something called the peak end rule. And the way it works is, um, imagine you go on an incredible date, three hours, like you're head over heels for this person. And you're about to lean in for the kiss. And you have butterflies in your stomach. And they look you in the eye, and just when you're about to kiss, they say the most awful thing you have ever heard in your life. <laughs> And somebody asks you the next day, good date or bad date? What do you say? Uh, it's going to be a bad date. Yeah. Three hours of perfection, three seconds of terrible. 
It's terrible. So why is that? Because we disproportionately value the peaks of an experience and how they end. And so what happens is that a lot of people let an experience deteriorate into nothing. And then it's remembered less fondly. And you're less likely to participate in the future. Or you end up, like I say, at a diner at four o'clock in the morning, eating food you don't want to be eating, and then wake up super late the next day and feel like you've, you know, you're hungover and you have to catch up and you're, you lose that day. So you end up regretting it and it makes it less likely that you participate in fun activities in the future. But if you know how to end with style, then you'll probably end up a little bit earlier more often and you'll end up remembering it more positively. And so you'll just be better you off. Even, you even apply this to the, uh, to the, the influencer dinners you put together. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at this you know, the right elements, you carefully, the location, all that stuff. The boundaries are you have no idea what people are doing. You make them cook together. Uh, then you've got a lot of emotional value and people do like sharing of stuff that isn't their work. And then you end it with a salon where other cool people come in. So it ends on a high note. So you're, you're definitely walking, walking the talk there. The, uh, so there's a few things. Like, let's say um, there's, there's a few things. One is I also limit the amount of time. And by right. adding constraints like that, it actually forces people together more. So when you have an unlimited amount of time, you know nothing gets done. But mm -hmm. the moment that you start adding constraints, people have to be creative about the way that they tackle a problem. And they have to come up with unique solutions. And when you curate well and have these brilliant people, you know this, you end up with amazing results or the potential for it. Uh, most uh, most definitely, and it it is uh, it's harder in larger groups for sure. Like the, uh, I, I haven't been as rigorous as applying exactly this, but planning the bulletproof conference that we have every year in LA um, in September, it's grown from a hundred people four years ago to this most recent one was three thousand people. Holy cow! And the the hundred person one was relatively easy because I planned out activities and we had like technology, mm -hmm. but to work on putting the right elements in place for thousands of people and then to cause them to push their boundaries when they don't know each other, uh, and then to create emotional value, uh, and then ending on a high note is probably it's hard to do after three days of people you know hacking themselves like that. So you, you know, I, I do my best there, but I think that's the hardest thing as the group gets bigger is to have you know a. a a positive, just powerful ending because people start to run down. Like I've, I've, yeah. I've filled my nervous system over the last couple of days. You definitely reach a cognitive load. I'm, I'm sure you talk about that great study about the Israeli parole boards. That's uh, yeah, it's it's like core to a lot of what I do. So, so do tell though. I'm sure listeners might have heard it, but tell them again because they uh, haven't all heard all episodes. So there's a a great study about the Israeli parole board looking at what causes people to get parole, and the traditional view is good behavior. Uh, and remorse and all these other things. But the defining characteristic uh, came out to be uh, time of day. So if you actually look at the graph of the result, it's something like if you were first in the morning, you had a 60% chance of getting parole. And then throughout the day, it keeps going down until you hit lunch and people get a break. And then it's up again and it goes down. And the reason is that when you've reached your, when your cognitive load is reached, then uh, it, we tend to default on our standard answer. And in that, it's no. So it means that if you want to get your best work done or your best, uh, or, or be able to actually shift the decision-making of a client, 
your best bet is probably first thing in the morning or or before that 2.30 feeling kicks in. Uh, it, it's, it's exactly right when you have the most energy. Um, the, have you ever read The Power that, of When? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, in, in fact, I, uh, I had Michael Bruce on it. It's transformative. What are you? I, I'm I've a been, bear. You're a bear. Okay, cool. Uh, so for, for listeners, you've got to listen to that episode if you haven't heard it, uh, where there's four kinds of, of sleep types. All right, so you're a bear, but but finish your point there. But I I just saw Michael this weekend with Jim Quick, and and just everyone read the power of W H E N. This book will completely tell you that the early bird is not morally superior to anyone else. Mm -hmm. In fact, they should probably be working for you as your servants. I'm just saying that. (laughs) You you can guess I'm a wolf. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, So uh, the uh, the the author is a, a sleep expert and really examined. Uh, our circadian rhythms. So the our internal biological clocks, and uh, according to him, we are genetically prone to specific sleep cycles. And ignoring that is tantamount to trying to pretend gravity is different for different people. That if you ignore when your peak times of creativity are and productivity and best times for sleep, uh, you just if you try to force yourself into a, a cycle that isn't yours, it'll never work, and you'll never uh, reach that peak performance that you want. Uh, it's, it's true. I woke up at 5 a.m. Um, so my, my natural, like I wrote headstrong mostly after 11 p.m. because my most, cr- most productive creative hour is from 11 until 2. And it's been that way reliably until 2 a.m. within a five-minute window for years. And mm-hmm. I measure it with sleep tracking devices. Like that is my time. And I used to just be like, okay, this is bad. So I became a 5 a.m. riser for a couple of years. I'd wake up, I'd, I'd meditate, I'd drink my tea and breathing exercises and all this stuff. It didn't make me a better person. It, it, it was actually going against my, my, my grain there, uh, which, which is it's fascinating. But what made you bring up the power of when? Uh, that's a great question. Right before that, we were talking about, uh, what were we talking about? The Israeli sleep oh, study. Oh, Sorry, the Israeli yes. parole board. Yeah. So the Israeli parole board. Because um, I'm really curious about effective decision-making and being able to get people to see your point of view, right? So um, mm-hmm. without being political at all, it's, uh, it's really important to reach people when they're most open to considering another point of view if yeah. we want to be able to span certain social issues. And so... As somebody who is very curious about influence, I want to know when I'm having a conversation and is it the right time? Because otherwise it's falling on deaf ears. The person is so tired and overwhelmed that they're just going to fall back to their standard answer and there's going to be no progress. And so it might be anything from changing our habits to uh, changing opinions, but we need to get people at the right time to do that and also know what our what our habits are so that we're not designing like our workouts when our biology just won't support it. Was it time is one of those big environmental variables that you have a good amount of control over because you decide when you're going to pick up the phone, you decide when you're going to get together with someone. Uh, and if you know their chronotype and, and uh, we'll just, so I, I don't have any business deal with Michael. I just really admire the work the power of when quiz.com. You can get like a free circadian biology thing like where he'll tell you which of these you are. Um, so I, I just share that because it's cool. But the, 
the, the whole point there is if you know someone else, you can even guess what their chronotype is. Like he tells you, here's when you should ask for a raise. Like here's when you should yes. go on a date. Here's when you should have sex. Like the whole nine yards. And it, it's fascinating. But the Israeli study around parole boards is one of the reasons I wrote Headstrong. Because we talk about cognitive load and we talk about uh, decision-making. And if you have more net electrons in your system, in other words, like, like the battery in your phone has a bigger charge or can deliver more current when, it, when it's demanded, your perceived cognitive load goes down. So what would have been a struggle to make a decision mm-hmm. stops being a struggle because there was more energy in the system. Yes. And so the, the whole point of this is how do you put more energy in the head, which makes all of these decisions easier to make? You either get more decisions or you apply less effort per, uh, per decision. And that has been transformative for changing my life. Like literally a half hour before we recorded this show, I had the final conversation with a venture capitalist to raise many millions of dollars for Bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> and I said yes, right? But the cognitive burden of, of that process, it was a two-month process, but it, it was not a heavy-duty, uh, I mean, it, it, was, it was a big thing, but it wasn't, it didn't take all of my energy, and, and it's because of an energy upgrade like that. And I fundamentally believe that if those people on the parole board were managing the mitochondrial energy better, they could make effective decisions all day long and treat each prisoner based on what they want to do instead of going, I'm so tired, I'll just take away the rational thinking and I'll just rely on algorithmic, I don't want to call it stupidity because they're the best algorithms we could do, but they're automated systems Mm -hmm. that are there for when we don't have enough energy. So could you give me a a quick upgrade right now? What can I do? Is this spilling too much of the book too early? No, no, absolutely. One of the most powerful things out there is is ketosis. Mm -hmm. And ketosis is when your body goes into fat burning mode. The problem is that if I go to even like a health wacko conference and I'm like, how many of you have been in ketosis? And like the whole audience raised their hand. How many of you are in ketosis right now? Five people. Like everyone knows it's good to eat no carbs and everyone eats some carbs because carbs actually have a biological function. So we have the ability to fast for four days in a cave, which is something I've done as part of my own adventure hacking, uh, you know, all by myself in the desert with nothing but water. Uh, and, and you go into this amazing mental clarity state. The problem is we don't really effectively do that. So you can use brain octane, which is the oil that goes in bulletproof coffee. And within a half hour of taking it, it raises ketones as if you've been fasting. Mm-hmm. And it works different than coconut oil, different than MCT oil. And so all of a sudden you're like, wait, I did that. And the reason this works, you get 147 electrons from a ketone, from burning ketones versus about 36 from burning glucose. So you're like, okay, I just did this. And there's an efficiency of energy production from food that matters really greatly. So when this efficiency can be modified via a whole bunch of different environmental variables, it's like a a new car, you press the the accelerator, all the gas goes into power. In an old car, some of the gas goes into leakage around the gaskets, and you have less horsepower and more gunk in the engine. Mm -hmm. And, And as you age, you get more gunk and less horsepower. So what you want to be able to do is tighten up the gaskets. And one of the things, I have a new supplement called uh, Keto Prime. That'll, it's the, the thing you need to turn food into energy. And, it, and if you're inefficient at turning food into energy, you run out of this thing. It's a, it's a rare type of ketone. And then in the, in the morning, when you wake up, this one's free. In fact, there's two that are powerful. And I, I'm kind of like, like, just I don't want to go on my whole spiel here because it's interviewing you, but I, I just want to offer this to you. <laughs> so do you do cold showers in the morning? Uh, no. All right, here's what you do. Take your hot shower, last 30 seconds. This is your adventure of the morning. 
without without a soft thing, just turn the water on a cold all at once mm-hmm. and let it hit you in the face and chest. Even if it's only for 10 seconds, it's better if you do it for 30 seconds. It will change your mitochondria. It actually makes your battery more powerful and it'll feel like absolute crap for the first week. And after that, it'll actually be something you look forward to. Like it, it's not as bad as it sounds. And do you it's do free. Wim Hof before that? So like you're prepped for it or you just... You, you don't have to do Wim Hof, but you can. And Wim was on stage at the Bulletproof Conference in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I, he had me doing his breathing exercises and push-ups in hypoxic states and all. And I was like starting to trip. Yep. <laughs> like I'm supposed to be giving a presentation and I'm seeing you know dots in my vision. But uh, So it, you could certainly do Wim Hof. Do you practice the Wim Hof method? Uh, no, I've, I've been in touch because I want to host him at a dinner. I want to learn Wim Hof. Uh, I've taken on a project... He's, he's a, He's crazy. He's a great guy. Yeah. I literally, everybody who knows him says, oh, he's crazy. Like, that's the first yeah. thing that they say. Yeah. Um, I took it on to learn six new kind of superhuman skills this year. And so oh, cool. I'm doing free diving, uh, speed reading and memorization, uh, Wim Hof, and then I'm going to figure out what the other two are. Nice. If you need to hook up for Jim Quick, who's in L.A., who's uh, he's one a of the, former the dinner top guest. coaches. He's a, oh, he's okay. Yeah. Cool. He, he's a good friend. Yeah, right. he's a great guy. Um, and I'm happy that he's friends with our, uh, with the sleep expert, because I know that he's, uh, he's really hacking into that these days. At, at Jim's conference last week, Michael Bruce and I were on stage with Jim. So it's, it's a very small world, like, I, I was, like literally a week ago. I was invited to speak. I was just, uh, in Cuba or something at the time. Oh, bummer. You couldn't make it. Uh, so, uh, all right. So Wim, okay. So, so the cold shower thing in the morning, Wim Hof is good, but it's, it's not necessary for that. Like that's just a direct like cold thing. Mm-hmm. Wim's stuff uses uh, intermittent hypoxia to also affect mitochondria, which is something that I practice, uh, using machinery. So I, I just breathe air that has no oxygen in it. So it's all <laughs> and nitrogen. Then I breathe air. Uh, it's all nitrogen and carbon dioxide. And then I switch it over to hundred. So you introduce hypoxia. So the brain's freaking out. And it, it it turns on emergency stuff to put to put oxygen there, and then I breathe pure oxygen when the emergency systems are on, so the brain gets hyper oxygenated. Oh, so, so it, it's does it cause like hemoglobin to increase or something like that? So you bond uh, oxygen. It, it yeah, it it changes the bond the binding rate of hemoglobin for oxygen, but more importantly, you can get twenty four times more oxygen in the brain for brief periods of time. Wow, uh, kind of like that uh, that guy who who does inventing at the bottom of a pool. So, so uh, anyhow, that that's like Wim Hof plus tech to amplify the effects. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, but I would just say for you, the cold shower. It's like it's free, and you don't have to learn anything. And the other thing is that's almost free. When you sleep, mm-hmm. your mitochondria are capable of making photons, and they're capable of receiving photons, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. So there's a whole network. About ten percent of your body weight is ancient bacteria that are spread throughout all of our cells, and that's where our ba- that they're our battery. They can talk with photons to each other, but they can only do it in a really dark environment because the signal-to-noise ratio is no good. Mm -hmm. So if you have LED lights in your room or light leaking around the curtains, you are completely robbing your battery of its refreshing ability. Mm. So you need to sleep in a black room. You need blackout curtains that function. Like every bedroom in a city that has streetlights, especially LED streetlights, needs to have carefully constructed blackout curtains or shades with with tracks on the side and when you do that you will sleep better than you possibly could imagine it it is amazing what a glimmer of light does to your sleep yeah your cells are listening even if you're not i believe it all right so i'll get off i'll get off my long uh soapbox answer sorry you got me all excited no no, it's great i have two questions for you and Mm -hmm. one is the final question on the show the first one though men versus women who's more adventurous 
Oh, so this is a, a very simple answer. Because of my definition of adventure, it's completely uh, subjective, right? It has to do with your boundaries. Cool. And I, so I was hoping you'd say that. The what we probably think of as adventurous is more like action movies, climbing Everest, and then you see a larger number of of men in those activities. But that has nothing to do with getting out of your comfort zone or pushing boundaries. In fact, I would argue that if you look at uh, at women's roles, especially in developing countries, there's, they're the ones that kind of keep the society functioning, right? There's this classic yeah. example of men being alcoholics and wasting all the money, and you should actually give the money to the wives because they're the ones that are responsible and make sure that the children are fed and the f- family functions as a whole. And so I would say in that case, then the men are not pushing their boundaries at all. They're falling into terrible routines that are destructive and the women constantly have to expand their capacity and are probably more adventurous under those uh scenarios so i don't think it's one or the other it's uh it's completely on an individual basis very uh very cool i I like that answer different people have different comfort zones as long as you're out of it it's an adventure exactly now final question someone comes to you tomorrow and they say john I want to perform better at everything that I do in my life. Mm-hmm. What are the three most important pieces of advice you have for me? What would you tell them? Uh, one is sleep. If you look at uh, research, the number one thing that causes happiness is, uh, is sleep. Uh, the second is curate the people around you that are highly effective at whatever it is that you actually care about. So if you care about your health and wellness, then you need to surround yourself with people who are health and wellness experts and who dedicate themselves to that. If it's, uh, if it's about making money, figure out the wealthiest people because you will develop an entire new vernacular, a attitude, a understanding of these topics that you can't ignore. They're just like uh, that obesity spread through a community, so will whatever those characteristics that you care about. Uh, so sleep and then... Uh, surround yourself with the right people and my inclination if you want to be better at everything then it's going to be the fuel i mean that's kind of uh regardless of if you're a professional athlete or you're a memory champion if you're putting crap in your body you're not going to perform at your peak so don't eat crap yes (laughs) uh and so i i personally play with my diet all the time and it annoys the hell out of people i eat out with so like (laughs) you know i i was uh I tried to do ketogenic for a while, which was mm-hmm. great, but like getting to true ketogenic is it's hard. It's virtually impossible when you travel because you yeah. can't predict uh, your food sources. So it's really hard. So I, I try to get near, but uh, then I was like, oh, what if I tried vegan and ketogenic? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's challenging. <laughs> and then I was like, that's a lot of avocados. Right. So like I, I constantly play with it and see what works and what doesn't. Uh, but I'm always open to trying new stuff. And so I'm a, a big fan, let's say, of uh, what you're doing. So. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't realize you had that much experience with ketosis, which is awesome. But I, you're doing the right thing for your mitochondria then. I was, uh, I was a before and after fitness model for a late night it, it, uh, video infomercial. So I went from 163 pounds and 20% body fat to 7% body fat and 153 pounds wow. in uh, 90 days. And I smelled like vinegar because of the 
that, the ketosis process is what I was told. So I was like truly, yep. fully unbeatable immune system. Nothing was bugging me. There was like the only side effects I, I really had was that I'd get tired in the evening because I was working out so hard. And I felt like I had a slight fever, especially in yeah. the evenings. Uh, wow. So you, you're such a hacker. That's so cool. Like, I, I would encourage you, if you like this interview, check out the 2 a.m. principle and get a peek inside John's head. The idea of exposing yourself to adventure is something, if, if you're familiar with my path, ayahuasca before it was cool and, and tre- trekking in the Himalayas and all that kind of stuff uh, was, was about pushing my own boundaries and, and frankly, things that, that scared me and ex- exploring loneliness and, and hunger and, and all these other things. And, and I am who I am today because of adventure in, in part. And so you can learn a lot from the 2 a.m. principle, which I, I fully support. So you can, it's on Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and all the places you expect to find books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can find it yeah. anyway. Uh, 2 a.m. principle, worth a read. Uh, and and where can people find out more info? Do you have a URL? Yeah, we yeah. Talked so Instagram earlier. John oh. Levy, TLB, J-O-N-L-E-V-Y, T like Thomas, L like Lion, B like Boy. And I can be found at John Levy, TLB, anywhere. And if you have any questions, I try to respond to every email I can. Sometimes I'm traveling, so I don't have internet access. So I was, when I was in Antarctica, I didn't have access or Cuba or uh, the jungles of Panama. But when I'm stateside, I, I always try to get back to people. So feel free to reach out and follow awesome post john thanks for being on bulletproof radio uh thanks for inviting me to that fascinating influencer dinner and i look forward to hanging out and in the spirit of our earlier conversation if i could do something to help just ask thanks man anything i can do also thanks if you like today's show you can do something to help go to orderheadstrong.com and pre-order your copy of the book. When you pre-order the book, it's like saying thank you to an author like me who spends thousands of hours putting our best stuff together for you. So uh, orderheadstrong.com, give it a shot. Thank you. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.